Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are. And now, please welcome... It's time for the Bradford Files, right now on WEEI.com. Welcome to another edition of the Bradford Files. With me today is Alex Spear. I'm Rob Bradford. And today, we're going to be talking about what else? The MLB trade deadline, Alex. I want to applaud you on being so enterprising with your guests. You've really kind of stepped it up. Gone, you know, you've gone, you, you've gone outside of the box. It's either typically one. it's either David Ortiz or Alex Spear. <laughs> so uh, today is Alex, and because David Ortiz cannot break down the trade deadline like you can, and we are, we're only about a week out of the of of what really is a, a unique trade deadline. We haven't seen anything like this. the The landscape has changed because of the new collective bargaining agreement. How the Red Sox have to approach things. We haven't seen something like this in a long, long time. Whether you know you're talking about selling, buying somewhere in between. But what I want to focus on, Alex, is what the Red Sox have in the minor league system to trade. In other words, the top five guys the teams would be asking for. And would they be willing to trade them? And should they trade them? And then we'll get into some of the players that have been on the radar, Josh Johnson, Matt Garza, Haley Ramirez, who potentially could be in those deals. And would you deal one of those top five guys or include them in a deal for the guys that we just mentioned? Um, Because the conversation has been, should you give up one of these guys to either make a run at it this year? Or really, the reality, right, is not this year. Everyone wants to focus on this year, but we know the one thing we know about the Red Sox approach heading the trade deadline is more about this year. Right. I mean, more, well, it's uh, more less about, about this right, year. Less about this year because you need to have an asset. If you're going to give up a significant prospect, uh, then you need to be able to have return that's going to last beyond this year because the reality is that as of whatever today is, July 24th, Uh, The Red Sox are the 11th best team in the American League. They're going to have to leapfrog seven other teams, or rather six other teams, if they want to secure one of those two wild card spots. And so that being the case, it's it's really a situation where if they are going to give up long-term assets, it can't be for the short term because the reality is that they might not have a short-term uh, impact. And, and it's a tricky situation because everyone uses the term blow it up. and It's, it's an either-or, and really isn't an either-or because the guys that you're talking about or identify as the quote-unquote blow it up, we can say, okay, Josh Packett, John Lester, Jacoby Ellsbury, David Ortiz, um, who else am I thinking about? Um, I mean, 
anyone on the roster. No, no, no. I was really but, talking about Pedroia, but I don't right, see why the, he wouldn't yeah, be thrown no, into Pedroia, the conversation uh, as well. Yeah, the, so the core group of high-priced players, I guess. Right. and The guys who are under multi-year deals, although you've also added Ortiz and Ellsbury in. Uh, but sure, yeah. So, so those expensive are, guys, yeah, expensive guys, and and we can go down the list of why each of those guys aren't really the. It's not the good, best time to trade any of them, and a lot of them because of value reasons. You look at Beckett shoulder issue, you look at Lester performance issue. We look at you know we've gone through David Ortiz. You know why he's of more valuable value to the Red Sox than than another team, Ellsbury. It, it, the fact is that this offseason is probably going to be the best time to talk to Once he's proved he's healthy again for the long term. Right. People have seen but not after, kind of, not after that. Not well, after that because then a team that acquires him can no longer get a, a draft pick if they have him for the one year and then he leaves as a free agent. Right. So, so we'll, you It's know, a complicated we'll, landscape. I think it, you've hit on that. Yeah, definitely. it is. So, so what we'll do is we'll focus in on what everyone talks about which is what would you give up for these guys right and we'll go through the top there's no one better to talk about who is a top five guys in the red sox farm system the teams would be identifying and we're going to rate them and i'm going to ask you to rate them in terms of one through five of how the red sox view these guys in terms of in your opinion in terms of the willingness to give them up in a deal so We'll start with who is the guy in the Red Sox farm system? Another team comes in and says, you know what? We want this guy they would be most reluctant to give up on. Well, I, I don't know if I can answer that in, in the in the straight uh, one through five. There are five guys who I can identify who the Red Sox would balk can at. Can you do one through three? I, I don't <laughs> well, really – I don't well, know that I can. So, uh, there, so what you're saying is that there isn't a, a – a, it's, it's always going to be fluid because, you know, the, the return that's being offered is always hmm. going to change – uh, the uh, you know whether or not you're willing to give up a pitcher versus a position player is going to is going to change depending on what you're acquiring back. So I, I think that that would be a little bit tenuous. And part of it is also how other teams valued those guys, right? Because if if another team valued, for instance, Xander Bogarts beyond what the Red Sox valued him, then even if he was their top guy in the system, they still wouldn't be dealing. They they would still deal him because the value would be let me, let me greater refer- than what they thought he was worth. Let me rephrase the question: Is that f- from the from the Red Sox point of view that you know each of these guys that I, you're going to talk about? And spoiler alert: you know they're going to include names like Bogarts. They're going to include um, Matt Barnes. Um, go down the list. But which of these guys, in terms of the Red Sox future? What they need. We know, like, for instance, Jackie Bradley Jr. Right. We understand Ellsbury walks or Ellsbury leaves, whatever way, that Jackie Bradley Jr., if he continues down the road he's going, looks like he could be the heir Looks apparent. like he's going to be major league ready to be a, a big league center fielder every day by 2014. Right. Matt Barnes, there's there's not a lot of top of the rotation, poten- potential top of the rotation guys in the system. Uh and so this is probably one of the guys who you say, hey, you know what? He could slot in top of the rotation, guys. Bogarts, hey, you know what? You have Jose Iglesias, but you're talking about more of a Hanley Ramirez potentially type shortstop. Or more likely someone who's going to end up moving off of that position. And that could mean that that could go in any number of directions because he has mm-hmm. the athleticism to have played shortstop to this point. So so, so, I, think, so I'm yeah. going to ask you this question. Is that of these guys that we're talking about, who for the Red Sox future of a building block, who would you think that they would say, hey, you know what, we really don't want to give up on this guy? I think it's hardest for them to part with the starting pitching component because you see how difficult it is 
to build starting pitching over time. Uh, you you know this is this is what the Red Sox season has been about. It is really really difficult to get elite uh, elite starting pitching. You've seen what happened when they needed it when they had a, a gap in their uh, in their pitching pipeline. You know when they had that great run of you know Papelbon and Lester mm-hmm. and Buckholtz and uh, and Masterson for that matter and Bard and then it led up and then all of a sudden they were off signing John Lackey and signing Josh Beckett to a four year extension. And ending, you know, and really putting themselves in a corner where they're spending very bad money. Mm-hmm. And even those opportunities, you understand why they did it, because there's such a dramatic scarcity of elite pitching that's available, whether via the trade market or via the free agent market, that that's what you have to build in your system. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox are pretty enterprising when it comes to finding position players who might be undervalued, who can give them some value back. Cody Ross being a great example, you know, a guy who, uh, who obviously was signed for nothing, you know, 3 right. million bucks and he's be- and he's been one of the best most productive outfielders in the in yeah. all of baseball. It's much more difficult to do that with starting pitching particularly for those years when they're young and controllable and inexpensive and healthy. Well, they so, got the guys they've had to try to get that bridge, a lot of them haven't worked out. Right. And and I'm not talking that about bridge the bridge has blown up. Right. Yeah, right. I'm not talking about that the the last uh, the lackey in the back hit. I'm talking about, you know, whoever it is, Brad Penny and John Smoltz. Right. And, the and, one you're right, exactly. Right. And so Though they have had a couple of recent I mean, I I do think that it's slightly underrated that they've had a nice success with Aaron Cook, for instance. Yeah, but you know, the thing with with Aaron Cook, you're right. As we sit here right now, that's the case. But we we have such a small sample size, and we're talking sure. we're talking about to your point, someone who could. And DeBron maybe is a better example. Mm-hmm. DeBron is a guy as as this year has progressed has shown that he might be both for an entire year be a legitimate guy who you say, hey, you know what. This is a guy that's important. There's a key, the cornerstone guy in our, in our rotation. Sure. Is he part of the? Uh, is he a Matt Barnes or some of these other guys in terms of upside? I don't know. But real to, to go back to what we were talking about. So you said starting pitching. Starting pitching is probably what they're going to value the most. I mentioned Matt Barnes, but you have another name who you think might even eclipse Matt Barnes in terms of their prioritizing keeping a guy. Well. Matt Barnes, the industry values very highly. He's a guy who was a first-round pick for them in 2011, very highly regarded. He came out of the shoot with a tremendous performance, first in Greenville and then in High A Salem. So there's there's un, there's an understanding. He's a guy, right? Uh, who would uh, other teams would would understand that he's a centerpiece guy? Henry Owens, I think, is perhaps the most interesting pitcher in the Red Sox system right now. He's a guy who leads all of minor league baseball in strikeouts per nine innings. But that's obscured a little bit by the fact that he's in single A Greenville, even though that's actually a pretty advanced level for him because he's 19 years old in his first full professional season. But nonetheless, he's leading all of minor league baseball in strikeouts. He has an incredible understanding of pitching, which you would know if you had listened to down, last week's Down on the I Farm. I do know that. Yes. Because I do listen to the, indeed, the Down indeed. on the Farm, the award-winning. Yes. Yeah. Award-winning. What did I win? Uh, that's. I, I didn't want to spoil it for you, okay. but it, it's coming. Yes. I would like lunch. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, I'm holding out. I'm holding out right here. Um, no, but Owens, he has a high ERA. He's only in single A Greenville, and he hasn't quote-unquote dominated the competition per se but he's dominated throughout most of most of his outings Mm -hmm. so he's had he'll have like 
four great innings in which he'll, you know, punch out two batters an inning. He'll have one inning that's a hiccup where a couple of infield singles and infield singles are the most interesting thing to track in the minor leagues. Not literally, but <laughs> that's, like, that's another podcast. That's for another, another podcast. <laughs> we should have a podcast on infield singles and understanding and understanding line scores of, uh, of minor league pitchers. But anyway, uh, he'll have a hiccup inning where he, you know, where he walks a couple guys, gives up a couple infield singles, a home run, boom. So a four spot is suddenly hung up on him. So there was a point this year where, where Henry Owens had like a 20 ERA in the fourth inning and like a sub one ERA yeah. in the rest of, uh, over the rest of the games that he was throwing, which is just kind of a normal progression for a young pitcher. But to, uh, to get to this, the Red Sox think that he's an incredibly advanced young pitcher. He's shown a big uptick in velocity since he got into pro ball. He's bumping 94, 95 at times, even though he's more comfortably sitting at 90 to 92. And he has this incredible feel for pitching. He has a really good ability to spin a curveball, and he has what was described as an exceptional changeup. I mean, uh, perhaps the best swing and miss pitch in the Red Sox system mm-hmm. right now. So you put all those things together, and you think that might be a frontline starter. I've had Red Sox officials tell me that he might be the best prospect, period, in their system. Okay, so... So the reality is that other teams might not see it that way, which means that it's going to be very difficult to get what you would consider fair value. I was told, for instance, for Henry Owens, Matt Garza's not good enough. As a centerpiece of a deal, Matt Garza, because he's only under control for a year and a half, isn't good enough. So after they read what you write, yeah, other organizations will value him much, much more. Or after they listen to Down on the Farm, that or they think that they'll they'll think that someone was you know <laughs> was blowing smoke and that I am merely a mouthpiece for organizational <laughs> manipulation. Well, that's what trade deadlines all about, right? So, but I, I think I think that you can sift through the information to find the reality of the situation. And there I is think no reality. Either this this it's, is the reality, this is like the Matrix, dude. No, this is the reality that we're living in. Henry Owens is a top of the rotation major league pitcher in a couple of years, but. It's it's gonna it's gonna lead me to my question, and we'll go through. We're gonna focus on Josh Johnson, Matt Garza. Okay, I don't only want to focus on Hanley Ramirez. I said Hanley Ramirez earlier, but whatever. Josh Johnson, <laughs> Hanley Ramirez, whatever. How far the world has come. Yeah, well, you know. May I interject briefly before we get to the two guys who you find relevant? Yeah, I do think that it's interesting that we're summarily dismissing Cole Hamels, you know, Zach Greinke. And, uh, and and you can explain why we're, know, we're dismissing Dempster. them. Yeah, it, it's just as rental guys, they just make no sense for this Red Sox team. You do not want to give up probably even kind of a second tier prospect, such as let's say a uh, uh, let's say a a uh, not a Jackie Bradley Jr., but let's say like a Brandon Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to give up a second tier prospect like that for a guy who you know for in order to invest in just the 2012 team and then lose the guy in free agency and have and nothing to show for nothing it. to show for nothing. right which is obviously a change from years past and the draft pick compensation has changed and, and the Red Sox standing has changed because they're not that good right now right. And so you can't put all of your eggs but, in this basket but for if, this year. if it was by the old rules then we might be having a different discussion absolutely be, because of the two draft picks and, and and we can go down the list of why this is so valuable and Jackie Bradley Jr. An example of that Adrian Bell Drake compensation, so forth and so on, but so so we are we are dismissing the Hamels, the Grankies. Get out, Hamels. get out! You you are not going to be part of this podcast. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, I will say I will interject with one thing. I talked to Cole Hamels for a bit. One thing that is underrated, uh, I think, that hasn't gotten enough attention. This is a guy who has desperately wanted to be a free agent for so long. Mm. He told me that the reason that he signed out of high school 
and that he wanted to be drafted out of high school was so he could get to free agency faster. What 18-year-old is like, yeah, let's go, man. If I sign now, boom, I'm going to be a free agent by the time I'm 28 instead of 30 or 31. Well, it might work out where he might not uh, revel in the fruits of free agency. He might sign with the Phillies, but he's going to get a free agent contract. So um, whoever that was, it might be before the year ends, but still the fact is, is that it's a free agent contract, so mission accomplished for Cole Hamels. Put it another way, er is nicht hier zum Spaß. <laughs> Again, you took the words right out of my mouth. I think they were words. Um, so we're going to focus Josh Johnson and Matt Garza, and obviously some other names might enter the mix as we go through the trade deadline. But we've identified the two guys – who we think that are probably prioritized the most by the Red Sox. And Matt Barnes and Henry Owens, because of their position, because of their performance, everything else. Do you include either one of those in a deal for either one, Josh Johnson or Matt Garza? Nope, not me. I, I don't do it. I think that the value of... There are there are red flags associated with both, with both Garza, to a lesser degree, I guess, um, than Johnson, but... Johnson has the history of shoulder problems. He has back problems. He's a, a huge frame guy who's uh, who's obviously he can be elite. He can be incredible. He can be about as good as there as as there is in the majors. But you know, if you view the value of this year being you know being fairly low, then is one year of Josh Johnson if you can't extend him, which I guess is the wild card because you know that was the Adrian Gonzalez conundrum, right? The Red Sox mm-hmm. traded for one year of him at a below market salary which was great for them but then they extended him for seven more years which is why it made sense to give up long-term assets but if you're just acquiring johnson for the next year and a half and you think how much is he going to impact the red Sox over the rest of this pennant race minimally maybe uh you know he could have a significant impact on them next year if healthy it's been a few years since he's made more than 28 starts he's been healthy thus far this year he's shown electric stuff but there's there's kind of a red flag sitting there with him and to my mind, the long-term asset is so valuable. Getting back to that conversation about Owens being more valuable than a, than a Matt Garza type, for yeah. instance. Um, to my mind, you would want to have the guy who's under control, you know, closer to like a Gio Gonzalez circumstance, but, you know, kind of maybe better and more dominant than Gio uh, at the time of trading for him. Uh, a guy with, with fewer warts. So, I don't know. For me to get, you know, to get one and a third years of Josh Johnson or Matt Garza in exchange for one of those two building block pitchers, that's a tough and one. And even if you let's say they would go in the mindset that they say, hey, you know what, we get him for a year and a half, we get a chance to see what he's about, we get a chance to uh, have him work with whatever shoulder program and and physical conditioning that we want to have him to go through. And we like what we see, and so we're going to extend them. And you're, by again, you're talking about investing another multi, multi, multi-year contract right. at fifteen a year, sixteen a year. Oh, probably more than that if he's good. If he's good over that time, then you know, then Beckett was four and sixty-eight. Right. He'd be worth well so, more than that. So the interesting thing in going through, because I was looking at the the contracts of. The teams who are doing really well. And, How astute and diligent of you. Yeah, so it's, I've, there's mobcontracts.blogspot.com, Cots Contracts, which I recommend highly. Because now it, now it, owned by Baseball Prospectus. Yes, and it makes you very, it look very, very smart for at least a minute. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
But the interesting thing is I was looking at Lester and Beckett, obviously two guys who they've invested heavily in, although Lester only makes seven and a half this year, but long term, you know, throughout you give a guy a forty million dollar contract, it's it's investing into something. So Beckett, Lester, these guys have underperformed thirteen and twenty three this year when when they, they have pitched. You look at the other teams, and so I want to see who are the guys who are the top top paid guys in each rotation. And you see that not a lot of teams are investing heavily into starting into starting pitching. The Phillies are are an exception, obviously, right. but even the Yankees. The Yankees have Sabathia, a huge contract, but then the next one is Kuroda. Right, not nec- not a huge contract. You're talking about one. What is a one year, ten million dollar contract? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so my point is, is that the Red Sox when they invested in this group as starting pitchings, it was this is the foundation. Right. These these are the guys that we're going to run with, and not a lot of people argue with that because of the performance that they had. But as we sit here right now, it's easy to argue with. So the point is, is that. Are, they might be going away from this model, like a lot of teams, because hey, UK, you have Buckholtz committed through 2017. Right, That's fine. You Lester Beckett done after 2014. Commitment ends. Same with Lackey. Same lack, but then they have the uh, after they have the um, they, they can have right. They can have the, the major league minimum two thousand right for 2015. So. But what is wrong with the Red Sox, and this is an approach they very well may take, is we have Buckholz, you know, you have the other guys, they're gone. You have Buckholz, that's the guy through 2017. Then now, okay, we're going to fill in with Dubron. We're mm-hmm. going to fill in with... And Dubron, I don't think, should be just cast in that in that role of villain because I do think that we're seeing, you know, you, you can't ignore the strikeout numbers that he's achieving at this age as a pitcher competing against the the stiffest competition. In particular, if you look at what he's been able to do in most of his outings against the AL East, it's really pretty darn impressive. No, I, and I, yeah, I don't want to dismiss it. I mean, listen, if he's a major league pitcher in a starting rotation and he's done what he's done, then he's a valuable, valuable yeah, guy. Yeah, he's like a number three. Right, exactly. You know, he's shown the stuff of a number three. So my point with Josh Johnson is yep. that they get him in, they like what they see, would they go down that road of giving him the contract that he's going to get? And if they aren't going to go down that road, to your point, then it's not worth it. It's not worth it because you do have guys who you can control, especially we know the Red Sox, not to get too much into it, but we know the Red Sox, how hamstrung they are because of the guys they've already invested in. And so you need any flexibility you can get. And, yeah. and Johnson would l- continue to limit that flexibility. Right. I mean, the thing is, everyone's just like, oh, you can extend him. Well, you're kind of getting into the same problem that you got into when you extended Yeah, Beckett I guess that's my time, point right? in a much shorter version of I it. I mean, yeah. like, he'll be, by the end of, by the time that he's eligible for free agency again, you're going to talk about the age. Let's say that he's looking for a five-year deal, which is reasonable given what the starting pitching market has been and assuming that he's healthy going forward. He'd be looking for a five-year deal covering the ages of, let's say, 30 to 34, maybe even longer than that. At a baseline, I would say, of $20 million a year, Mm -hmm. you're going to have some bad money in that contract. And that's, again, kind of getting to the flawed model that's been so problematic for the Red Sox that the Rays have ignored completely Mm -hmm. and wildly successfully in order to become a really, really perennial power because of their pitching. Look at what the A's are doing. Granted, it's a different park. It's a different division. Mm -hmm. Don't care. They're doing this with homegrown pitching. They find guys. They they build with it from within and then they move the assets because 
they see the guys who are going to be, you know, who are going to decline at the time when they become really expensive. Well, even Texas. I mean, even Texas. You look at Texas and Feldman, I think, is their t- second highest paid pitcher. And Behind I just, Darvish, right? Yeah, Darvish. So Darvish is the guy. But Darvish wasn't going to be the guy, maybe, if they got Cliff Lee. Right. So they were willing to go. They were willing to, to invest yeah, the to, one guy, yeah. like the Yankees. And and you know Harrison's going to come up, and they're going to have. They might have to pay him, but the point. Although they have guys coming behind them, but that's too. the point, yeah. right? I mean, you mentioned the Rays, and, and so our team's going to continue this model. You have the one guy, but you can't do what the Red Sox did, where you, you say oh, we're going to invest so much of the payroll in the foundation of the the rotation. It sounds good, right? Yeah. Because you say, oh, we don't have to worry about that anymore. But the it's so volatile that. It, it, it's it's almost we've almost been proven to not be worth it. Put another way, Roy freaking Halliday just missed two months with an injury. Mm. If Roy freaking Halliday misses time with injury when he's in his early thirties, that's not a good time to invest in pitchers. No, because that guy is like the closest <laughs> yeah. that we've come to indestructible with his little lair and the kryptonite <laughs> and all that freaky stuff. You know, but uh, I, I don't. The Fortress of Solitude. If you have a lair and it's not working out, yeah. Listen, there's not every pitch. I mean, JD Drew's lair didn't work. No, no. Who and, knew? Yes. The QRS machine, Rob. Yeah, believe me. How, how did this not happen? I thought. I thought when we we uncovered all these contraptions that that was going to be the solution to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. A hyperbaric chamber. Where have you gone, my friend? <laughs> um, a fishing hole. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so let's cut to the chase. So we said, okay, Matt, uh, Matt Barnes and, um, Owens, Henry Owens, these guys aren't worth trading for the guys that we identified. I for- take those dudes off. I, I take those dudes off the table. They need to build starting pitching depth. Yeah. So does it change with this to identify the, the three guys or a couple more guys that they're probably going to be next on the list. Sure. There's Bogarts, J- Bradley Jr., and... I'd throw Middlebrooks in there because all teams are going to ask about him. Okay, Middlebrooks. Not Iglesias, though? Glac- no, 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 no. The no. guy has a 300 OBP, no, and I, that's what this no, hot streak. I, I understand that. Yeah, so, but, uh, but no, Iglesias, I think, is clearly in the... He's an impact glove at this point, but clearly <clears throat> the offense is so limited that he's not ever going to be viewed... Unless there's something dramatic that happens as anything more than kind of a B-level prospect. Yeah, Iglesias, Bryce Brent, um, you know, we mentioned Brandon Jacobs. Um, but this should stick to the guys, Bradley Jr., Bogarts, and Middlebrooks. Yep. Okay. We've already said Barnes, Owens, out. Yep. We're not doing it for them. We're yep. not including them as much as – and I, and I do think – correct me if – if you don't think differently, but Johnson maybe is at a, a, a different level than Garza in terms uh, of a fit. At least in terms of ceiling, yes. Yeah. Now, this year, if you look at their numbers, they're pretty similar. And in fact, the one thing that I would, uh, the one thing I would caution is, holy smokes, you go and check out what uh, what Josh Johnson's splits are for home versus road in that home ballpark where they have oh. like those piranhas and those giant marlins, like that are Technicolor and like. People think they're freaking well, out and hallucinating. I mean, while they're covering the games there, yeah. I couldn't believe it was like Oakland at night. Yeah, it was it, the ball did not travel. So at all. he has. I want to say that he has like a six plus ERA on the road this year. Yeah, and and I talked to a scout last night, and he said he was very high in Josh Johnson, and he said, "Listen, you know, once this guy gets away from that injuries, his injuries, as he gets further away, and we saw in his recent outing, that was tight, kind of." 
what the potential that Johnson has. But the further he gets away from it, that's the better. But you can't say that because he keeps having injuries. Right. So right, even though he's been healthy from the bell this year, so yeah. you know that's to his credit. But yes, again, that kind of creates a red flag. So, so the performance you, so, of Garza this year has been better than that of Johnson. Yeah, and maybe we dismiss him because we know him, right? I mean, that we we know what he is. We've seen him in this division. Right. He he has a three and a half ERA in the American League East. You can't discount that. Uh, he Legitimate ha- number two or three starter to yeah, my mind in an AL East. He's done in the postseason very um, much so. Yeah, so you, you can't you can't dismiss that. But um, but the three the three guys and that we I will say that like Red Sox officials love the guy. Yeah, you know Red Sox players think that think the world of him. Red Sox officials love him. They love the makeup. They love the fact that there's a known quantity there who, except for this weird forearm cramping that happened very inconveniently for the triceps, Cubs, yes. triceps, yeah, uh, in his most recent outing, and that's pushed back his next start. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's uh, he, he's been a very healthy guy, and he's been a known quantity who's been able to just you know shove it down the throats of some who's, of the who's twenty eight. I mean, we, I think that the perception around here is that Matt Carson's been around forever. He's he's probably at least thirty, but he's twenty eight. Yeah, and um, so Bo- in his pitching prime, you would think. yeah. So Bogarts, Middlebrooks, and Bradley Jr. Right. Include would you include any of those guys in a deal for either one of those guys? Nope, 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 and nope, nope, nope. Okay. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I I don't think that you know. I I think. Again, you're getting into the year and a third. So let's put it another way. Middlebrooks, for instance, the Red Sox had the opportunity to maybe use him as the centerpiece of a deal for Gio Gonzalez this past offseason. Mm-hmm. Pass. And that was Gio Gonzalez who was going to who has had all of his uh, all of his uh his arbitration control years in front of him. Three full years of Gio Gonzalez, pass. That's how highly they regard Middlebrooks, right? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about half the time for one of these other guys. So I think that Middlebrooks pretty clearly has cemented himself as part of the Red Sox future. I think is that do you think that that's safe to say? Yeah, well, it, it leads me to kind of what I was going to say next, which is with all three of these guys, there's uh besides their talent in production, there's a, a legitimate reason why they're important to the team going forward. And and with two of them at least, it's position. Yes. It's with Middlebrooks' position, with Bradley Jr.'s position, mm-hmm. with Bogart it's might be position, but it's it's he said Bogarts isn't with the is isn't position. Bogarts <laughs> is the bat. Uh, no, but, no, sure, but yeah. but if you if you know the guy still we say well he's going to morph, morph into a third baseman, but he still has yet to play third base, right? And so there's always that opening at shortstop with the Red Sox, and if if that works out, it works out. But I agree, uh, you know that's that's my I think we we're agreeing on the same point. Right. The two position the one you're making my point. You're, you're, you're one. We we are in agreement, which I feel very good about being in agreement with you. Um, so yeah, we're still agree- in agreement on my on the fact that I'm getting a lunch out of this. Ah, right? uh, you are. Okay. You are certainly getting a lunch. Just no every every um, buddy who comes on the Bradford file gets lunch. I'm your first guest, I think. Yeah, well, that's that's fair. <laughs> okay, good. C.J. Nikowski got lunch. Oh, good for him. Yes, yes, good for him. It Udon? was a gift certificate, okay. but um, <laughs> the so three very got three important guys to the right. future of the Red Sox and this is why we once again agree that you do not include these deals and for any for Josh Johnson or Matt Garza. Let's look back to when the Red Sox last really pushed their chips to the middle of the table when they dealt for pitching. Okay, we have two examples historic we have I guess we have three examples from the last decade or so uh through from the last 15 years that are that are worth noting. One Josh Beckett, when they made the trade with the Marlins mm-hmm. that sent Hanley there in the first place, 
Beckett was 25. You know, Beckett had Beckett had that year and a half of control, or rather those two full seasons of control remaining, and the Red Sox had a decent sense that he was pretty signable. And at that time, the pitching market was a much more appealing one. The idea of signing a 25, 26-year-old to a long-term deal was much more appealing than signing a 29 or 30-year-old to such a contract. So different circumstances, different kind of guy, two full seasons as opposed to the one and a half. Uh, then roll roll back the clock a little bit more. Kurt Schilling, obviously that was more of a rental player, even though they were able to extend him. They they weren't giving up very yeah, much. Yeah, Casey Fossum and, and um, Michael Goss. Yeah, and Michael Goss was like a joke in that deal. My, you know? Yeah, Michael Goss the Red Sox, is, was right, out of my, baseball a year later. The, the story was that uh, that when uh, when one of the Red Sox front office guys heard about uh, heard about the uh, the Diamondbacks offering essentially that package of players, he said, "When's the press conference?" <laughs> um, so Schilling was Schilling was a no brainer, low cost, no high impact prospects. They kept their Papelbon, Hanley Ramirez, John Lester type prospects. Didn't touch that surface. So the third the third one is Pedro, and he again was a 25 year old guy, and obviously under a different administration. But you know he was 25 years old, entering the prime of his career, having already won Cy Youngs, having been healthy, having I mean he was throwing like. 400 innings a year in Montreal yeah. or something. The, the the exchange rate was different then, of course. But, uh, yeah, so Pedro, and the cost of it was Carl Pavano, uh, who was, you know, who was a pretty well-regarded young starting pitcher before he, I don't know, uh, got into troubles with the law and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, and, uh, and, what, Tony Armas Jr., who was the guy who they had gotten for Mike Stanley, uh, earlier that year, that was a dump job by the uh, by the Expos in some respects. I mean, two prospects, neither of whom was was like elite elite. I, I think Pavano was pretty well regarded, but yeah, Pavano was uh, Pavano was. You the think guy. he was like top ten, top yeah, twenty? Yeah, I mean Pavano and Brian Rose were yeah. were even though Brian Rose, it, it, I never got the Brian Rose thing because you're talking about a soft throwing guy with a with a big curveball who you know he, he just seemed like a guy who would could really dominate or do well in AAA, right? And so anyway, but yeah, I mean the history of in two things that you said or really one thing was 25 years old yeah i mean those people forget that that's how old these guys were when they traded for them and now you're getting to okay a little older and and you're getting a little more into the the paying these guys and everything else and i think that's one of the things is that that you have to factor in what you're going to get after next year and whether and that's even if they sign these guys, what are you going to get after next year? And is it going to be worth what you gave up? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that uh, I, I really think that there's such a dramatic difference between the young and affordable and cheap path to starting pitching versus the incredibly high priced. You know, I mean, again, it kind of gets to Beckett's most recent extension four years, $68 million, the returns thus far. You know, even though he was for about. Three quarters of last year, he was in the running, you know, five-sixths even. Mm -hmm. He was among the best starters in the American League. You know, what happened last September when he was injured? What happened this year in which he's been injured on multiple occasions, in which his performance has been less consistent, which we're seeing decline in fastball velocity? That's the cautionary tale for these guys like Josh Johnson and like Matt Garza, even if you did want to extend them, that not everything is necessarily rosy if you do that. You would be paying a lot of money to do it, and and the return just might not be worth worth the worth the cost that you're putting on the table and i realize that that means that that lends itself to you know a kind of stasis when it comes to the trade front mm-hmm. but i think that the moves that you make are those not for pitchers who you get for a year and a half now but instead maybe for like 
two full years, three full years, two and a half full years, you know, hmm. that that kind of length and longer. Again, the Gio Gonzalez's of the world maybe. And even then, the Red Sox were balking at, at giving up Middlebrook's right. position player. Right. Well, I'm going to cut it off here because you know why? Because I want to get this up on the site as quick as possible because – in in about an hour, they might trade Jackie Bradley Jr. for Matt Garza. I'll feel really stupid. And Henry Owens. They'll package Henry Owens in it as and, well. And because, yes, and because when you have such a kick-ass podcast as we just executed, I want to punctuate this, bitch. So so let's, let's end it there, and we'll be back with more trade deadline awesomeness in the future. But thank you, and let's go have lunch on me, Alex. Yes! Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nano-spray coating gives you professional protection and a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. The difference between an agent and a Realtor is real. Realtors have the expertise to find exactly what you need and the ethics to do the right thing, even when it's the harder thing. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. That's who we are. A bad team facing a good team is never completely out of it. Nick Costos, co-host of You Better You Bet. 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern on the BetQL Network. There's 162 games in the season. The best teams are going to lose 60-plus times, and the worst teams are going to win 60-plus times. Each night is its own individual entity. That's what makes betting on the baseball regular season so much fun. All the insight you need to bet smarter is at BetQL.com. And listen to You Better You Bet with Nick Costos and Ken Barkley, streaming weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern on Odyssey.